short story today. Welcome to Short Story Today, where we celebrate short stories and the authors who write them. My name is John DeSavino, and I'll be your host. Well, we have finally arrived at the final episode of classic Short Story Today. But Short Story Today isn't going away, it's just evolving into something a bit different, and hopefully more relevant. It will introduce to the short story lovers who follow the podcast the talents of some of today's finest contemporary short story writers. So for me, it represents progress. I'm going to talk a little more about the new Short Story Today podcast at the end of the episode. But right now, we're going to move on to today's author. We began Short Story Today with a Catherine, and we're ending with a Catherine. Entirely coincidental, I might add, but they make perfect bookends pun intended. Episode 1 featured New Zealand author Catherine Mansfield. Kate Chopin was born Catherine O'Flaherty. We're going to close out our short story today classic edition with two stories by Kate. She is a remarkable figure in the canon of American literature, yet she's still not as familiar to readers as many of her fellow writers. One of the things that makes her unique is that through her marriage to a native New Orleanian, she was immersed in New Orleans society, and so her work is infused with the European culture that was prevalent in the New Orleans of her time. She's most famous for her novella, The Awakening, which was ahead of its time, but we'll talk more about The Awakening after the stories. I've decided to read two of Chopin's shorter pieces rather than one long one, as a way to illustrate her range as a writer. The two I've chosen are contrasting in tone, one rather light and one quite dark, which will give you an idea of her versatility. What is common to both stories, however, is the perceptions that relate to the complexities of marriage, particularly as experienced by the wife. So we'll begin with the darker of the two stories and end on a lighter note. This first one is quite brief. It would almost qualify as what we would now refer to as flash fiction. So here it is. The Story of an Hour by Kate Chopin Knowing that Mrs. Mallard was afflicted with a heart trouble, great care was taken to break to her as gently as possible the news of her husband's death. It was her sister Josephine who told her, in broken sentences, veiled hints that revealed in half-concealing. Her husband's friend Richards was there, too, near her. It was he who had been in the newspaper office when intelligence of the railroad disaster was received, with Brentley Mallard's name leading the list of killed. He had only taken the time to assure himself of its truth by a second telegram and had hastened to forestall any less careful, less tender friend in bearing the sad message. She did not hear the story, as many women have heard the same, with a paralyzed inability to accept its significance. She wept at once with sudden wild abandonment in her sister's arms. When the storm of grief had spent itself, she went away to her room alone. She would have no one follow her. There stood, facing the open window, a comfortable, roomy armchair. Into this she sank, 
pressed down by a physical exhaustion that haunted her body and seemed to reach into her soul. She could see in the open square before her house the tops of trees that were all aquiver with the new spring life. The delicious breath of rain was in the air. In the street below a peddler was crying his wares. The notes of a distant song which someone was singing reached her faintly, and countless sparrows were twittering in the eaves. There were patches of blue sky showing here and there through the clouds that had met and piled one above the other in the west facing her window. She sat with her head thrown back upon the cushion of the chair, quite motionless except when a sob came up into her throat and shook her, as a child who has cried itself to sleep continues to sob in its dreams. She was young, with a fair, calm face, whose lines bespoke repression and even a certain strength. But now there was a dull stare in her eyes, whose gaze was fixed away off yonder on one of those patches of blue sky. It was not a glance of reflection, but rather indicated a suspension of intelligent thought. There was something coming to her, and she was waiting for it, fearfully. What was it? She did not know. It was too subtle and elusive to name. But she felt it creeping out of the sky, reaching toward her through the sounds, the scents, the color that filled the air. Now her bosom rose and fell tumultuously. She was beginning to recognize this thing that was approaching to possess her, and she was striving to beat it back with her will, as powerless as her two white slender hands would have been. When she abandoned herself, a little whispered word escaped her slightly parted lips. She said it over and over under her breath. Free! 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 The vacant stare and the look of terror that had followed it went from her eyes. They stayed keen and bright. Her pulses beat fast, and the coursing blood warmed and relaxed every inch of her body. She did not stop to ask if it were, or were not, a monstrous joy that held her. A clear and exalted perception enabled her to dismiss the suggestion as trivial. She knew that she would weep again when she saw the kind, tender hands folded in death, the face that had never looked save with love upon her, fixed and gray and dead. But she saw beyond that bitter moment a long procession of years to come that would belong to her absolutely, and she opened and spread her arms out to them in welcome. There would be no one to live for during those coming years. She would live for herself. There would be no powerful will bending hers in that blind persistence with which men and women believe they have a right to impose a private will upon a fellow creature. A kind intention or a cruel intention made the act seem no less a crime as she looked upon it in that brief moment of illumination. And yet she had loved him. Sometimes. Often she had not. What did it matter? What could love, the unsolved mystery, count for in the face of this possession of self-assertion, which she suddenly recognized as the strongest impulse of her being? 
free, body and soul free, she kept whispering. Josephine was kneeling before the closed door with her lips to the keyhole, imploring for admission. Louise, open the door. I beg, open the door. You will make yourself ill. What are you doing, Louise? For heaven's sake, open the door. Go away. I am not making myself ill. No, she was drinking in a very elixir of life through that open window. Her fancy was running riot along those days ahead of her, spring days and summer days and all sorts of days that would be her own. She breathed a quick prayer that life might be long. It was only yesterday she had thought with a shudder that life might be long. She arose at length and opened the door to her sister's importunities. There was a feverish triumph in her eyes, and she carried herself unwittingly like a goddess of victory. She clasped her sister's waist, and together they descended the stairs. Richards stood waiting for them at the bottom. Someone was opening the front door with a latch-key. It was Brentley Mallard who entered, a little travel-stained, composedly carrying his gripsack and umbrella. He had been far from the scene of the accident, and did not even know there had been one. He stood amazed at Josephine's piercing cry, at Richard's quick motion to screen him from the view of his wife. But Richard's was too late. When the doctors came, they said she had died of heart disease, of the joy that kills. The story of an hour was written in 1894 and shares a lot thematically with a story written two years earlier, The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman, which I read in episodes two and three of the podcast. Both stories are meant to represent aspects of the life of oppression that women commonly experienced within their marriages during that period in history, but they approach the subject from very different vantage points. The protagonists of both stories manage to find freedom at long last. They do share that. In the case of Louise Mallard in the story of an hour, it comes with the supposed death of her husband. For the yellow wallpaper's protagonist and narrator, her relief is not brought about by death, either her own or her husband's. She is only able to find it by losing something. Her mind. The second story I'm going to read is also a story about a marriage, but the tone is very different. It, this is much more light-hearted and uh, upbeat, but it does touch on a situation that can occur in a marriage that has the potential to do some harm. So here it is, A Respectable Woman by Kate Chopin. Mrs. Baroda was a little provoked to learn that her husband expected his friend Gouvernail up to spend a week or two on the plantation. They had entertained a good deal during the winter, much of the time had also been passed in New Orleans in various forms of mild dissipation. She was looking forward to a period of unbroken rest now, and undisturbed tete-a-tete -tete with her husband when he informed her that Gouvernail was coming up to stay a week or two. This was a man she had heard much of but never seen. He had been her husband's college friend, was now a journalist, and in no sense a society man or a man about town which were perhaps some of the reasons she had never met him. 
but she had unconsciously formed an image of him in her mind. She pictured him tall, slim, cynical, with eyeglasses, and his hands in his pockets, and she did not like him. Gouvernail was slim enough, but he wasn't very tall nor very cynical. Neither did he wear eyeglasses nor carry his hands in his pockets, and she rather liked him when he first presented himself. But why she liked him she could not explain satisfactorily to herself when she partly attempted to do so. She could discover in him none of those brilliant and promising traits which Gaston, her husband, had often assured her that he possessed. On the contrary, he sat rather mute and receptive before her chatty eagerness to make him feel at home, and in face of Gaston's frank and wordy hospitality, his manner was as courteous toward her as the most exacting woman could require, but he made no direct appeal to her approval or even esteem. Once settled at the plantation, he seemed to like to sit upon the wide portico in the shade of one of the big Corinthian pillars, smoking his cigar lazily and listening attentively to Gaston's experience as a sugar planter. This is what I call living he would utter with deep satisfaction as the air that swept across the sugar-field caressed him with its warm and scented velvety touch. It pleased him also to get on familiar terms with the big dogs that came about him, rubbing themselves sociably against his legs. He did not care to fish, and displayed no eagerness to go out and kill grosbeaks when Gaston proposed doing so. Gouvernail's personality puzzled Mrs. Baroda, but she liked him. Indeed, he was a lovable, inoffensive fellow. After a few days, when she could understand him no better than at first, she gave over being puzzled and remained piqued. In this mood she left her husband and her guest, for the most part, alone together. Then, finding that Gouvernail took no manner of exception to her action, she imposed her society upon him accompanying him in his idle strolls to the mills and walks along the batture, She persistently sought to penetrate the reserve in which he had unconsciously enveloped himself. "'When is he going, your friend?' she one day asked her husband. "'For my part, he tires me frightfully.' "'Not for a week yet, dear. I can't understand. He gives you no trouble.' "'No, I should like him better if he did.' If he were more like others and I had to plan somewhat for his comfort and enjoyment. Gaston took his wife's pretty face between his hands and looked tenderly and laughingly into her troubled eyes. They were making a bit of toilette sociably together in Mrs. Baroda's dressing-room. You are full of surprises, ma belle, he said to her. Even I can never count upon how you are going to act under given conditions. He kissed her and turned to fasten his cravat before the mirror. "'Here you are,' he went on, "'taking poor Gouvernail seriously and making a commotion over him, the last thing he would desire or expect.' "'Commotion!' she hotly resented. "'Nonsense! How can you say such a thing? Commotion, indeed! But you know, you said he was clever.' "'So he is. But the poor fellow is run down by overwork now.' That's why I asked him here to take a rest. You used to say he was a man of ideas, she retorted, unconciliated. I expected him to be interesting, at least. I'm going to the city in the morning to have my spring gowns fitted. Let me know when Mr. Gouvernail is gone. I shall be at my Aunt Octavie's. That night she went and sat alone upon a bench that stood beneath a live oak tree at the edge of the gravel walk. 
She had never known her thoughts or her intentions to be so confused. She could gather nothing from them but the feeling of a distinct necessity to quit her home in the morning. Mrs. Baroda heard footsteps crunching the gravel, but could discern in the darkness only the approaching red point of a lighted cigar. She knew it was Gouvernail, for her husband did not smoke. She hoped to remain unnoticed, but her white gown revealed her to him. He threw away his cigar and seated himself upon the bench beside her, without a suspicion that she might object to his presence. "'Your husband told me to bring this to you, Mrs. Baroda,' he said, handing her a filmy white scarf with which she sometimes enveloped her head and shoulders. She accepted the scarf from him with a murmur of thanks and let it lie in her lap. He made some commonplace observation upon the baneful effect of the night air at the season. Then, as his gaze reached out into the darkness, he murmured, half to himself, Night of south winds, night of the large few stars, still nodding night. She made no reply to this apostrophe to the night, which indeed was not addressed to her. Gouvernail was in no sense a diffident man, for he was not a self-conscious one. His periods of reserve were not constitutional, but the result of moods. Sitting there beside Mrs. Baroda, his silence melted for the time. He talked freely and intimately in a low, hesitating drawl that was not unpleasant to hear. He talked of the old college days when he and Gaston had been a good deal to each other, of the days of keen and blind ambitions and large intentions. Now there was left with him, at least, a philosophic acquiescence to the existing order, only a desire to be permitted to exist, with now and then a little whiff of genuine life such as he was breathing now. Her mind only vaguely grasped what he was saying. Her physical being was for the moment predominant. She was not thinking of his words, only drinking in the tones of his voice. She wanted to reach out her hand in the darkness and touch him with the sensitive tips of her fingers upon the face or the lips. She wanted to draw close to him and whisper against his cheek. She did not care what, as she might have done if she had not been a respectable woman. The stronger the impulse grew to bring herself near him, the further, in fact, did she draw away from him. As soon as she could do so without an appearance of too great rudeness, she rose and left him there alone. Before she reached the house, Gouvernail had lighted a fresh cigar and ended his apostrophe to the night. Mrs. Baroda was greatly tempted that night to tell her husband, who was also her friend, of this folly that had seized her, but she did not yield to the temptation. Besides being a respectable woman, she was a very sensible one and she knew there are some battles in life which a human being must fight alone. When Gaston arose in the morning, his wife had already departed. She had taken an early morning train to the city. She did not return till Gouvernail was gone from under her roof. There was some talk of having him back during the summer that followed. That is, Gaston greatly desired it but this desire yielded to his wife's strenuous opposition. However, before the year ended, she proposed, wholly from herself, to have Gouvernail visit them again. Her husband was surprised and delighted with the suggestion coming from her. "'I am glad, cher ami, to know that you have finally overcome your dislike for him. Truly he did not deserve it.' 
Oh, she told him laughingly, after pressing a long, tender kiss upon his lips. I have overcome everything. You will see this time I shall be very nice to him. One can only imagine what it must have been like for people at the turn of the century to read a story like this, which is so frank in its depiction of a taboo that most would have found shocking, the sort of troubling physical attraction that can sometimes lurk in and around the life of a marriage. And then added to that, it is written by a woman from a woman's point of view. That had to have made many readers of this story uncomfortable, to say the least. But that's exactly what I love about the story, the fact that it's from the point of view of the woman, which even now is not typically how these stories are told. And Chopin handles the subject matter deftly by putting a light-hearted spin on the proceedings, which takes some of the edge off of the morally ambiguous actions of the protagonist. It's hard to imagine anyone who's been part of a married couple not having had an experience of this sort, but, as Chopin makes clear, it's all about what one chooses to do about those feelings of attraction. In that encounter Mrs. Baroda has on the veranda with Gouvernail, she fights her impulse and behaves responsibly. But we're left to question exactly what Mrs. Baroda has in mind for Gouvernail upon his return. What exactly does she mean when she says, This time I shall be very nice to him? Kate Chopin was born Catherine O'Flaherty in St. Louis, Missouri, on February 8, 1851, and died on August 2, 1904. She ended up moving to New Orleans with her husband after they married and spent the rest of her life in Louisiana, which is the setting, as we've said, for most of her stories. Her novella, The Awakening, is what she is best known for, and because of its subject matter, it was met with a very negative response when it was published in 1899. Interestingly, it addressed the subject of marital infidelity from the viewpoint of the female protagonist, much like the story I just read, but where a respectable woman tiptoes around the subject of marital infidelity, the awakening deals with it head-on. This was just too hot a topic for turn-of-the-century society, obviously, but time has a way of correcting things, and The Awakening is now considered an American classic and a remarkable act of courage for a woman writer at that time. For more information about Kate Chopin, I urge you to visit the Get Lit Podcast website. That's G-E-T-L-I-T-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com getlitpodcast.com. I've talked about Get Lit, the literary podcast, several times on this podcast, uh, and I do that because I feel it's an excellent and highly entertaining literary podcast that will give you insights about authors of all shapes, sizes, and temperaments. So uh, again, I urge you to visit getlitpodcast.com and look for episode 10, which is devoted to the exploration of Chopin's life and times. I'd like to spend the last few minutes of this episode to give listeners a little bit of a lead-in to the new Short Story Today podcast that debuts with our next episode. I think by now you've probably picked up on where we're headed after today's final episode of the classic Short Story Today uh, the new short story today will begin to focus on contemporary writers. 
So I want to give everyone who continues to listen to the podcast a heads up about what you may be hearing in the coming episodes. I've made it a point with the stories I've been reading up to now that they adhere to a certain standard, something that I refer to as stories with universal appeal. So from a film rating standpoint, they have generally been rated G or PG. I think the strongest profanity, if you want to call it that, that anyone has heard on the podcast up to now uh, has been a couple of four-letter words of the mild variety, hell and damn. But with the new direction that the podcast will be taking, that, out of necessity, is going to change. I still want to continue as often as possible to choose stories with universal appeal, but there will be occasions when I'll want to share a story that is just too exceptional and too important to pass over, and it may push that envelope. The stories overall will likely be more challenging in the choices of subject matter and language. Some may contain the bad four-letter words, which some listeners may find offensive. The stories may at times contain discussions of sex, scenes of violence, just edgier kinds of stuff in general. But I will do my best to alert listeners each time before the story begins of anything that might offend or re-traumatize or simply create feelings of discomfort for the listener. But the other side of all this is that you're going to be hearing stories that are more relevant, stories about the kinds of lives people are living today, or things that have been written from the point of view of people who are living today all of which is going to bring short story today into the present the today of short story today something i had always hoped would happen i've had astonishingly good luck in finding some truly amazing writers some are very young and just starting out and others have been writing for quite a while and have had novels and story anthologies published the other thing I'm really excited about is having the chance to talk with the writers and have them share in conversations their thoughts and ideas with our listeners. So there's much to look forward to. I'd like to thank all of you who have been following the podcast for your support, and I hope you will continue to listen as we move forward. So that is the end of episode 18, the final episode of the classic short story today podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please do come back again next week and hear something that we hope will surprise and delight you, the all-new Short Story Today podcast, where we celebrate short stories and the authors who write them. You gotta take some time to read a short story today.